As we start a new church year together, I want to give you a promise from God that if received and applied to your life, can dramatically change your life. I want to reiterate what the scripture just said through a promise from Isaiah, interestingly enough, where we read, God is speaking, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This summer it occurred to me that one of the challenges we face as the family of God is that we serve a dynamic God and he's always urging us to go from where we are spiritually to, where, to what we and to who we can become on our journey toward becoming like Jesus Christ. He will never leave us where we are. I want to ask you a question then. As you look into this next year, do you have any expectations of God that he has some plans to take you further along in your spiritual journey? You see, a changed life, a new beginning, breaking free from spiritual ruts, from addictions and habits that are less than we are, becoming the person that you never dreamed you could be, this is Christianity. It's nothing less than that. Today's scripture is a drama about a man named Nicodemus. Could be any of us. And he approaches Jesus with a question. As an adult, and remember he was a religious leader. He knew it all doctrine-wise. As an adult with so much baggage in my past, Jesus, can I ever hope to change and become a person really acceptable in God's sight. And Jesus gave him this electrifying news that I hope we've never heard it so often, it, ce it ceases to impact us when he said, it's never too late to change. I want us to study this story, and particularly for those of you who gather here this morning with very little or no hope that you can ever get out of the rut of where you are spiritually, there's good news for you. First, transformation is rooted in trusting Jesus as Savior. So simple, so profound. You see, Nicodemus, as with many of us, had basically been raised with lies about God. He was taught that religion is essentially a person's effort to obey the rules and to become so good they would be good enough to be loved by God. His problem and ours was that he just couldn't do religion. The bar of rules was too high. And so religion did nothing more for him than cause guilt and frustration. Because he could hear what he's supposed to be, but there was a delta between that and what he really was. And so even as a religious leader, he lived with chronic frustration and guilt. Paul the Apostle was no different. He made this great confession that, I hope many of us have identified with through the years. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That's us, isn't it? Chronically us. What Jesus is saying is rather electric. He says any religion that calls us to be good enough to be loved by God, any religion that calls us to be so good or God will zap us for our sins. That religion isn't good news, it's bad news, and in fact, worse, it's lies about God. What we find in this text and why, as Frank mentioned, it's so beloved, 
is that Jesus here unveils an entirely new picture of God's true nature. In fact, he tells Nicodemus, God is like me. He's a person who loves you. He's not a judge out to get you. Sin isn't simply an excuse for God to send you to hell. It's an opportunity for him to share his grace with you when you know you need it. In fact, Jesus put it this way. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn you, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What Jesus is saying is kind of different from what we were raised with. People aren't changed by religion. People are changed by one force only, and that is we're transformed by finding a relationship with Jesus. Or to put it very simply, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. And that makes us different from any of the other religions in the world. We're unique. Going even deeper, we find Jesus saying, is saying God's laws don't make us good. They aren't the means by which we get to heaven. God's laws only reveal how helpless we are, how sinful we are. We cannot be good in our own strength. So what's the purpose of God's laws? To open our eyes to the fact we need a savior. It destroys our pride in coming up to God with our badges of merit and say, you owe me heaven. Look at the wonderful life I've lived. No, it drives us to our knees and say, cover me with the blood of Jesus only. Well, hearing this shocking news about the necessity of, quote, being born again, Nicodemus responded sarcastically by asking, hey, Jesus, what is this born again bit? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? Are you telling me a person my age can change loaded with as much baggage and addicted to so many habits from the past as I have. You know, I find it interesting even today that the media picks up very often on, quote, the born-again Christian. I'm not surprised because it's the born-again Christian that's the Christian, and the world never likes that. Jesus likened this transformation to the wind, isn't it? A fascinating metaphor. It, it, the wind is a mystery. We can't control it. We can't explain it. We can only experience it. It's sort of like love. Well, maybe Nicodemus thought about how the wind fills the sail of a, a sailing ship. You can't tell where it's coming from, but you can sure see that sail filled with it, and you can see the impact upon driving that ship through the waves. Getting transformed is sort of like that. It's you can't explain it, but you experience it and you can feel the impact in your life. Now, if you think about it for a moment, the fact that people change really isn't so strange. You know, the computer is dramatically changing our lives every day. My wife last week started getting our groceries through the web van. Don't even have to go to the market anymore. Punch a button on the computer, it arrives at your door. We're, our lives are being dramatically changed by a computer. People change by going to therapists. We're changed by watching television, by the forces of poverty. And many of us are being changed by the acquisition of wealth. The issue is not whether we change, but it's how can we change to become that person God designed us to be? How can we, we change on an upward curve rather than a downward curve? 
And that's where transformation comes in. That's the good news from Jesus. Bill Hybels uses the metaphor of a caterpillar to help us understand this life-changing love of Jesus. He's, he was describing, as we all know, how a caterpillar spends its life wishing it could become a colorful butterfly. But all it really is, it's just a boring brown caterpillar that crawls around on leaves on the ground. Hope forever becoming a butterfly for transformation seems impossible. But you know what? Actually, butterflies are simply caterpillars that have been born again. The, the same metaphor, what are Christians? We're people who used to be caterpillars caught in sin and by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, we're being transformed into a butterfly where eventually we'll become everything God designed us to be in heaven. Impossible, of course, and that's why it's a miracle. It isn't something we do, it's something God does. It's metamorphous on the spiritual level. I think it's exciting that I can tell you this morning that you have the potential of becoming everything God designed you to be before sin entered your life and fouled it all up. And that's true for me too. Transformation is good news. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist wrote, Christianity has produced on this earth a new creature who lives in new ways to which the natural man can no more attain than a crawling thing can fly. A creature whose way of life is so radically different from what was left behind that we can describe it by no other term than rebirth. That's what we're about, folks. We meet Jesus and we become the person God designed us to be right in the midst of a dark, skeptical world that says caterpillars don't become butterflies. And our lives are living arguments that that's not true. You see, the good news about God then is that he's not a vindictive judge. He's a father who loved you enough to send his son to die for you and for your sins so you wouldn't have to, and neither would I. The only bad news then associated with Christianity is the tragedy of ignoring or rejecting God's offer of salvation. I can't believe it that anyone in this world would turn down Jesus. It seems absurd that if you have somebody who wants to give you life now and life forever and forgiveness of sins and a chance to become all that you've ever been and to get rid of the baggage of the past, how could you say no? And there's only one explanation. There's evil forces out there that blind people to this. Or you turn it around and say the very fact that you have accepted God's offer of salvation is another act of God's grace where your eyes were open and we can celebrate that fact. This leads us to a question then. How do people who know they're caterpillars become butterflies? Nicodemus asked the question this way, how can this be? And the second truth is transformation is a process and it happens over time, but it does happen. One of the hardest things for some of us as Christians who come especially from legalistic backgrounds is to understand that Jesus is saying becoming like him is a lifetime journey and it has many detours. Here's a truth I hope you'll take home with you. As followers of Jesus, we're not perfect, but we are on a journey to become perfect. And that's why we gather here week after week and go to classes and worship and read the Bible and pray. We're on a journey to get to know Jesus and follow him. Think about the metaphor. As a new grandpa, I had it reinforced to me. If you think about it, the metaphor of birth 
Life begins with just a little tiny egg and a sperm coming together, microscopic, you can't even see it. Goes through this miracle of nine months in the mother's womb, then emerges still a very helpless child, and we go on through life. And Jesus says, that's how new birth is. We're not hatched as infant, uh, instant saints. Yes, we're righteous in God's sight immediately. But then we spend a lifetime becoming what we are, what we were born to be, so that we shouldn't get all shook up from the accusation of the devil himself when we fall into sin and have detours. Let me flesh this out a little bit more. I believe, in essence, Jesus is saying, are you trying to be good enough to earn God's favor, Nicodemus? You can't do it. Stop trying. Even being a religious leader, you're not making it. Trust me as your savior and my spirit over time will enable you to grow into my likeness And during this journey of growth, you're going to have many detours in sin You need to know God doesn't stop loving you in those periods. He doesn't give up on you His love isn't based on performance. It's a gift Now please understand this grace we t are talking about is not an excuse for staying in spiritual ruts, for continuing in willful sin. We just said at the beginning, God wants to do a new thing in you today. This year, he wants to free you from some of those habits and addictions and sins in which you're caught. And I want to say that to grow into the likeness of Jesus should be the very central passion of our lives because Jesus died to make that potential possible. And so as we worship today, let me ask, what is your passion this morning? If someone asked you, what do you want more than anything else in the world? What would you say? Henry Drummond wrote, to become Christ-like is the only thing in the whole world worth caring for. The thing before which every ambition of man is folly and all lower achievements vain. I challenge us, I challenge me. Out of all the seductive stuff in this Silicon Valley, I trust the Holy Spirit will make it our passion to become like Jesus, first and foremost. Previously, I mentioned a book, Believers in Business, to which a secular uh, sociologist uh, refers to her study of Christian CEOs of large companies. And I, I mention this book because I want to affirm again, transformation is possible. You can change. You can become more than you are. You can live a distinctive Christian life. As this lady studied CEOs to her surprise because she came in with a negative bias, she concluded the Christian faith does make a measurable difference in how CEOs approach their careers, how they treat their employees when they're Christians, their attitude toward profit, their attitude toward questionable business practices, their attitude toward their families. Our message to our critics and to ourselves when they see only our inconsistencies, and yes, you have them and I have them, our message is be patient. God isn't finished with me yet, but one day God will finish the job of transformation in me and on that day I'll see Jesus and I'll be like him that's both our hope that's our answer to ourselves when guilt grabs us and it's our answer to our critics at the same time that's not an excuse to stay where we are I was absolutely convicted this summer that as I go around for my 26th year here I want to become something more than I've ever been before and I want you to be because God accepts us where we are as I said but he never leaves us there 
you have any dreams this year to become something more specifically? Do you ever have a passion to become more like Jesus? That's what Jesus says should make the very blood in our veins boil with excitement. Here's the bottom line. If we're not growing into the likeness of Jesus and we say we've been reborn, there's a reason. Do we really desire to change, to be different? We say we want to change, but you know what? Not enough to give up sinning. At least that's true for me. And this is why Jesus warned in our text, this is the verdict. <coughs> light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And that's why in Matthew he said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many therein, many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You know, I, I believe most of us struggle with two love affairs. We want to become all God has called us to be, and we like playing around with sin, and depending on which day, the battle goes either way, doesn't it? And as a result, most of us do not live distinctive lives. Most of, many of us could be looked at by people out there, and, and there wouldn't be anything different in us. They don't see Jesus in us. Why? Again, because we love sin. We, we just love being in the world. It's comfortable to come to church, have the facade of Christianity, but it's not changing us. You know, I'm amazed at the promises I make to Jesus in a worship service and then how quickly I can fall apart Monday. And if it weren't for grace and confession and forgiveness and God's patience, I'd be in a real rut. But I want to say we have a choice regarding God's offer of grace. If we really desire transformation, we can accept this grace over and over again because we understand growing into the likeness of Jesus is a lifetime process. And if we have to confess and repent 10 times a day, he never will give up on us. But we can go the other direction and we can fool ourselves. We can trample God's grace by using it as an excuse to cover our willful sin. We can sort of settle into a rut and say, I'm, I'm never going to get any better I am than I am. The bar is too high. We can be like Nicodemus. I'll just stay religious, live with the frustration because I can't crawl out of this well of sin. And when we give up on grace, when we stop confessing, stop repenting, we cut ourselves off from the life-transforming power of grace. And that's how people get lost in hell. And we can't ignore the word condemnation in this text. Although Jesus is talking all about life, it wouldn't be good news if we didn't say, what are we saved from? I heard a story about some guys in the army meeting their new chaplain. One soldier asked him, do you believe in a literal hell? Being a rather liberal chaplain, anxious to impress his new men and win their confidence, he said, you can relax, guys. I don't believe in a literal hell. To which his men responded, and rightfully so, if there is no hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, you're leading us astray. Today, I challenge all of us accept this good news that Jesus delivers from sin and he delivers from a destiny in hell. What's hell? Simply separation from God. Begins here. It doesn't begin after death. It starts now and goes on into eternity. And I need to tell you, as a Presbyterian pastor in these times, I can talk about hell because if hell didn't exist, Jesus didn't need, need not have died. The gospel need not be preached and I'd be out of a job. What would I have to share with you? What would be the good news? 
Who would listen to a preacher flap his gums on a Sunday morning about what? But you see, God loves you so much, he sent Jesus to save us from a destiny separated from God, as well as liberating us from the life of sin now. And that's good news, and that's worth preaching. You see, rather than wanting to punish us for our sins, listen to what God does with the sins of a person who repents and confesses and trusts Jesus as his or her Savior. God forgets our sin. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God removes it as far as the east from, is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God buries it. He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God takes away the stain, and though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Go and find out in this world any better news than that. Knowing that when we come to Jesus as we are, nothing is wasted. Even our past, he weaves in all that brokenness and sin into a perfect pattern for a new beginning today. So the news this morning is transformation happens. Jesus changed Nicodemus. His story didn't end with creeping into Jesus at night, embarrassed, ashamed. The next time we see him, he's arguing with the other Pharisees and chief priests saying, you're condemning an innocent man. And the next time we see him, he's with Joseph of Arimathea publicly requesting the body of Jesus from Pilate, preparing it for burial. He's an overt public Christian living a distinctive life, not a cowering religious leader. Jesus transforms people. This year he wants to transform you and me. And I hope that truth will give all of us a new passion to become all that God has called us to be. So before we go home this morning, I challenge you to do what I've done. Let's at least identify one area in our life from which we seek freedom from bondage to sin and let Jesus begin there. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Jesus, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you that you died to save us from separation from God and from life, both now and in eternity. And thanks for the good news and the hope that brings to everyone here today. It's never too late to change. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.